listening to episode two of Hop to the Mic podcast. I'm here today at the Culinary Institute of America's Brewery here at The Egg. The brewery here on campus is a classroom where bachelor's students can learn hands-on techniques, ingredients, equipment, and the process of brewing from grain to glass. The brewery is part of the art and science brewing course here at the Hyde Park, New York campus. On today's episode, I will be interviewing award-winning brewer and head brewer here at the brewery at CIA, Hutch Koopman. I hope you enjoy. Uh, thank you, Hutch, for having me and taking the time out of your day to sit down and uh, chat with me. Yeah, no bit. problem. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, it feels uh, feels good to be back in the brewery. That's again. right. It's, it's been a, a little while since you were yeah, here. Yeah, a couple semesters ago, yeah. I took this class and I was uh, had the boots on and <laughs> absolutely carrying spent grain out to the uh, the compost bin. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what is the story behind uh, the brewery here at the CIA? Sure. Um, yeah. So we've been here since. Uh, the egg opened up in 2015, so we opened up that brewery in, in October 2015. Uh, this was built in partnership with Brooklyn Brewery, so really it's a collaboration between the CIA and Brooklyn um, to try and make sure that uh, beer receives the same respect at the fine dining table that wine has gotten for a long time. You know, um, the craft beer industry has been around for a while. Uh, it's been, I think, a commonplace part of people's lives for quite a while now. You know, probably the last 15 or 20 years that that. Uh, you know, when I started brewing 20 years ago, I had to spend a lot of time explaining what a brown ale was and what an IPA was, and, and we're well past that time. Uh, but Brooklyn really, um, you know, takes education seriously as part of their kind of global mission. Uh, their brewmaster, Garrett Oliver, was one of the first to really try and promote the idea of beer and food and, and how well they work together. Um, and so it became a natural fit when the school was building the egg here to look at how can we expand our educational offerings to our student body. Uh, and to bring Brooklyn on board to help kind of establish this brewery. So that's sort of our goal is to, to kind of turn people on to the world of craft beer and, uh, and flavors and looking at, at how these things are part of the food world. That's awesome. And uh, Brooklyn Brewery always comes visits, right? And, and they talks. do several times a semester, actually. Um, just this week, we had uh, Eric Ottaway, who's the CEO of Brooklyn, uh, up talking to the students. And uh, he usually does a little lecture about, you know, what are the, what are the basic financials of opening a brewery? So we call it kind of a back of the napkin sort of, of um, structure. But he actually changed it up this semester because uh, he was able to kind of, you know, say, let's, let's shelve that and let's talk about real world business um, where, uh, you know, what's going on in the Ukraine right now. Um, that has an effect on the beer industry. It has an effect on Brooklyn and their plans to launch in Ukraine and launch into, into that part of the world. Um, and so he kind of took it aside and said, you know, what are the realities of, of being a global brewery? Uh, it was pretty cool. And then we had their marketing, uh, Tim and Paige from their marketing team and social media team up this week as well to talk about um, how you establish a global brand, right? What the idea of Brooklyn is and, and how that translates kind of around the globe. It's pretty cool lectures that we're able to kind of work into. I mean, as you know, the class tends to focus a little more on hands-on brewing and on some of the science behind brewing. Um, but we like to bring Brooklyn in to, to, to kind of fill in some of the other stuff. How many barrels is this system here? So in, in, uh, in uh, the U.S., everything's measured in U.S. barrels, so 31 gallons to a barrel. We have a seven-barrel system uh, with three fermenters and one bright. So uh, on average, we're brewing about once a week. How do students here contribute to brewing? Oh, uh, uh, you know, it's, it changes as the semester goes along, as you well know. You know, early on, it's a lot of um, kind of learning your way around the brewery, but now we're late in the semester. It's, you know... Um, here's the task that needs to be done today, and here's what we're going to do. You know, that's one of the things about running a small brewery is that every day is not the same. Uh, so 
for instance, yesterday we were bottling beer. So we had a, a batch of beer that came out really well. We wanted to, to bottle condition some, put it aside for sale later on. So we are making a, a sellable product, right? This is an operating business in addition to being a classroom. Today we've got some, uh, some local red wine barrels. So we had a couple barrels on loan from Red Maple Vineyard right across the river. And uh, one of our, we have two classes this semester. So two class project beers, one of which is a black lager. So black lager is gonna be going into red wine barrels for aging. So we'll have some of it on sale probably starting next week. And then this red wine barrel aged version will go on sale when I think it tastes ready. So <laughs> might be two months, might be six months, might be a year. Um, but that's what we'll be doing today. So the students who come in today will be helping me uh, kind of prep and fill some wine barrels. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to try these uh, things. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, what initially got you interested in brewing? Uh, I thought it sounded cool. Um, no, in, in, in reality, uh, after college, um, I joined Teach for America, which puts you know, teachers in kind of under-resourced areas. I was not a teaching student in college, but I always thought I would, might like doing it. So I joined TFA and taught middle school in North Carolina for a couple years, um, which was a cool experience. I'm really glad I did it. Um, I'm really glad I don't teach middle school anymore. Um, seventh grade is not a fun year for anybody, <laughs> uh, including very, the instructors. I, it was a very awkward year yes, for me. Yes, <laughs> uh, all around awkward for, for everybody. Um, you know, and then add on to that, I think I was 21 years old and teaching you know, 12-year-olds. Um, but uh, after that, I moved to the Northwest. And, and I, all that time, I had been homebrewing. So I started homebrewing after college just for fun. And uh, at that time, out in the Pacific Northwest, like craft beer, the industry was already established and saw an ad in the paper for a brewing job. And I was like, hey, that's a, people actually get paid to do that. It's a real job. You can make beer for a living. Uh, and, and didn't get that job, wasn't qualified for it. But it got the ball rolling and sort of um, got me thinking that that was something I might be really interested in. And so eventually was able to get my foot in the door, entry level job, a place out in the coast of Oregon. And uh, that was almost 20 years ago. Oh, so wow. yeah. here I am. 20 years later. <laughs> and awards later and everything. Sure, like sure. I mean, you know, it, as it turns out, it, uh, I enjoy doing it and yeah. uh, have some aptitude for it. And then when this job opened up in 2015, you know, a chance to work with two highly respected organizations in the CIA in Brooklyn um, and to kind of combine teaching, which I've always enjoyed doing. Uh, I've always enjoyed training people and kind of recombine teaching and with, with the brewing industry was a, a, a really good fit for me. Yeah, and you're an awesome teacher oh, thank I, you. this class and then i was like this guy's so patient and cool I'll, you know I'll, it's, I'll, I'll make sure you get your 20 bucks later for saying that <laughs> it's also it's such a different um uh like adjustment coming to this class because uh we're here at culinary school and we get yelled at by chefs right right uh, you know we we get you know we get a lot of uh you know yeah uh, we get picked on sometimes sure. by, the, by the chefs uh, as it is out in the real world um so it's pretty pretty fun coming in here and uh definitely sparked something in me as well good um, that's and, what i want to hear and um homebrewing a lot of people like oh they like homebrewing and mm -hmm. want to get into homebrewing uh, i know my uncle actually has you know a lot of equipment and everything and he's really interested in homebrewing and uh, I quite, the question that i have is uh, can somebody that has experienced homebrewing like go to the industry Absolutely. how difficult would that be i mean it's it's i would think um it's a very similar uh change over from someone who's a, a good home cook becoming a chef, right? Are there parallels and are, is there knowledge that works there? Absolutely. Is it a different industry? You know, is it different doing something in your kitchen when there's no pressure to being, you know, even in a small restaurant that's not busy? Absolutely. Um, so I would say that, that there's a, a similar change from being a home brewer to being a professional brewer, but can you do it? Absolutely. I mean, home brewing is a great way to learn about ingredients. It's a great way to kind of develop a, a, your flavor palette get a passion for it. Um, you know, people do, I think similar to, to the, uh, 
the culinary industry and being a chef, people do kind of romanticize it a little bit. And so the actual change over to the day-to-day work can be jarring for some. Um, it doesn't happen so much here at the school because you guys are used to being on your feet, mm-hmm. right? You don't really want to be sitting down doing nothing. You <laughs> yeah. want to be up on your I feet. I fall asleep during lectures. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, so for brewing, that can be a, the, the physical aspect of the job can be a change for some people. Like you are, you know, on your feet all day. I actually really enjoyed that when I was a young brewer. I was like feeling physically tired after work. Um, maybe felt like I did something as opposed to sitting in front of a computer all day. Um, but, uh, yeah, you absolutely can make the leap. There are lots of people who have gone right from being a home brewer to owning their own business. Uh, I think it all depends on the talents of the individual, uh, but certainly, uh, home is a great start and, and a good way to kind of find it if you're passionate about it. How have the beer trends changed over the years that you've been in the industry? Oh, man. Uh, radically. Um, and if I could predict the next one, I'd go make a lot of money on it. Um, yeah, things have changed quite a bit. You know, early in the industry, so I started as a brewer in uh, summer of 2002. So, like I said, almost 20 years ago. And the industry was, in the, in the Northwest and the West Coast, it was a little farther ahead than it was in the East Coast. Craft, beers, craft beer was around. People were aware of them. I remember maybe when I was a high school student, there was a local brewery popping up. Like, this was a thing, so it wasn't totally foreign but people didn't really know about beer styles. People mostly were familiar with the mass market of American beers, uh, you know, the, the big global brands, which are all basically the same styles of beer, American lager, American light lager, Pilsner. Um, and so there was a lot of education. And I would say that went on for quite a while. Uh, and you can kind of trace the growth of the number of breweries and, and kind of see where things changed a little bit. I would say even as recently as 2000, so see 2002, 2010, um, most of my career has been in small breweries. The early part of it was in a restaurant brewery that was not your typical brew pub. So we weren't necessarily getting a brew pub customer. We were getting more of a restaurant customer there. And so that I gave me an opportunity to try and teach people more about beer and, and what a Belgian ale was and, and, and the flavor profiles you can get in beer that people weren't used to. Then I would say by 2010, you know, I'm kind of basing it on when I changed jobs. But you know, when I opened the brewery uh, north of here in 2010, I would say that there was already a lot, uh, a lot of people were more familiar with craft beer, but there was still some education going on, particularly in a, in a smaller rural area. People maybe hadn't had an IPA before or, or were aware of it, but maybe not aware that they can be different from each other. On an overall trend, I think what I've seen is that growth of styles and that sort of explosion of breweries there was a kind of a leveling off, I would say, in the late 90s, early 2000s of that first wave of craft breweries, and then maybe some of them weren't very good businesses, and so you saw kind of a dip. Then we have kind of slow and steady growth, I'd say, throughout the 2010s. And then around 2015, 2016, you start to see a, a, an explosion of very small breweries, and that's kind of where we are now. Um, you can look and see a growth probably, well, I, I know here in New York State, we went from 38 breweries when I moved here in 2002, to somewhere around 100, 150 in 2010, and now we're at 515. And I would say, so that's, you know, we're looking at a growth of like 300 breweries in the last 10 or 12 years. I would say a lot of those in the last five years. And so you have this growth of very small breweries. And then from a flavor perspective, you had kind of people learning about beer early on and learning that there was multi beers and hoppy beers and, and you know, yeast flavored beers. Then you had this kind of extreme beer phase where it was like, give me the biggest, strongest, most robust flavors. You know, give me things that are, are spicy and, and fruity and high alcohol. Uh, in fact, there were even beer fests called Extreme Beer Fest 
um, where people were trying to move these huge flavorful, you know, huge, big, high alcohol beers. And then people went away from that. And then, uh, and then IPAs kind of took over. And the last 10 years or so, it's been IPAs and hazy IPAs. Then uh, more recently, say the last five years or so, you have the explosion of much sweeter flavored beers. So IPAs are still king, but you have a lot of fruited beers. You have fruited sour beers. You have uh, what we call pastry stouts. So big, strong, chocolatey, robust beers that people throw cupcakes in and cocoa pebbles. And, you know, all these, the common thread on these, I think, is is sweeter um, flavors, especially fruity or chocolatey flavors. Um, they're still a niche product. The big sellers are still IPA. And now you're starting to see a lot of lagers. And brewers have been making lagers for a long time. Uh, but you're seeing kind of the, the growth of people's palates as they went to really huge flavors and then kind of backed off. And now you, then you see another wave of kind of really huge sweet flavors and then kind of we'll see how that trend then backs off. Um, brewers have been pushing more drinkable beers for several years. We all like Pilsner. Yeah. Um, you know, you've probably heard me talk about session beers, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, as a business person, I don't want you to buy one beer. Like selling you one beer that you're blown away by the huge flavors on is great. I really want to sell you four. Um, we call those session beers, things you can have a couple of without getting drunk. Yeah. Uh, and you can enjoy a more balanced flavor. So brewers have been trending that way personally for quite a while. And a lot of us do make beers we like. So that bleeds over a little bit. But also people, I think um, you're seeing, you know, if you look at the beverage industry in general the last few years, I mean, think about the things that have been huge, right? Seltzer, um, RTDs, ready to drink cocktails, you know, things that maybe are lower alcohol, either they're lower calorie or they seem healthier, whether they actually are any healthier or not is another thing, right? But also you think, what's the other thread? Fruitiness, light, crisp. Uh, so I think you're seeing brewers trying trend more in that direction because that's what the public is is looking for i mean all these trends people feel like brewers are creating them and we're putting interesting flavors out there and sometimes we are but we're also responding to what customers are buying uh, so lately the, the trend i think this past year you'll see going forward is uh, non-alcoholic beers have been have been really exploding here in the u.s they've been all overseas non-alcoholic beers have been around for a long time but in the u.s they were sort of stigmatized as either being not very taste, not tasting very good because they weren't, uh, but really being for either pregnant women or, or people who couldn't have alcohol. And you're seeing people now kind of look at that more as a lifestyle thing of, I want to enjoy a beer, but I don't want to get drunk or I want to be able to drive afterwards or I, or it's the afternoon or I just don't want, you know, I want to enjoy the flavors. Uh, and then the next thing we'll see is probably going to be THC and CBD products and, and how those then kind of come into both the food world and the beverage world. Um, I just read an article yesterday about, about Pabst uh, putting out um, a THC product in California that they're developing. A lot of the bigger breweries are developing these products in Canada where they're already legal. And then as, as soon as the federal government gives a thumbs up, <laughs> you're going to see these things hit the shelf. So uh, maybe by the time this, this podcast is posted, who knows, uh, there'll, be, there'll be CBD and THC alcoholic drinks on the market. One, one question I always get asked uh, or not asked, but people always mention to me, oh, I don't like beer. Mm -hmm. I don't like beer. Uh, how would you encourage somebody that is willing to try beer? What would you encourage them to try? Yeah, I mean, my first response to that is always, well, we just haven't found the beer you like yet. Uh, there are a really broad range of beer flavor profiles out there that a lot of people who aren't used to beer don't know about. So a couple things I usually go are my go-tos. I don't usually start with hoppy beers because most people don't respond well to bitterness first. Unless someone tells me, hey, I like, you know, but that's, I guess my second question is, 
what do you like to drink? And, and I go off of that. Hey, I like margaritas. Hey, I like uh, seltzer. Hey, I like you know, dry white wine. I like red wine. Whatever they tell me they like. Can I find some parallel in beer flavors? And usually there is something I can latch on to to say, okay, hey, you like robust California reds. Let's try a Belgian double, right? This is a more robust beer with a lot of fruit and spice character, low bitterness. I, um, I think you might like that sort of, it's got a nice full mouthfeel like a, like a California Redwood. Maybe that's a good place to start. Or I like, you know, fruity boat cocktails. I want a margarita. I want, a, you know, a, a daiquiri, something like that. Okay, let's go for sour. You know, if you like margaritas, then you like tart and sour and kind of limey and salty. Maybe, maybe a, a Berliner Weiss or a Goza or a fruited sour beer is a place to start. Um, and if none of those things, then I usually go for something sort of more medium-bodied and malty. Give me a brown ale. Give me an Oktoberfest. Uh, something that has a little flavor, but it's not bitter. It can have a little, like, gentle fruitiness to it. It can have a, kind of a gentle toasted chocolate character to it. It's very approachable. Um, something that doesn't overwhelm your palate, and that usually is a place for people to start. And I've got a lot of breweries, a, a lot of drinkers, rather, who have started there or started with a Belgian ale with a different flavor profile than they're used to. And that was their crossover from mainstream beer was something completely out of left field that they didn't expect. How has your taste changed over the years? Um, I would say I, I very much, my taste kind of did go with the trends a little bit that I mentioned before. Um, and maybe that's why I see them as the trends of those years because that's where my tastes were going. Um, starting with, you know, Porter and Pale Ale, you know, coming from thinking that imported lager was great. Oh, Moosehead, that must be great. It's from Canada or Foster's from, from Australia, right? Those were great beers when I, was, you know, when I was younger. Then getting to try things for the first time and probably moving to the Northwest. Um, having had uh, probably Sam Adams and there used to be a company called Pete's Wicked Ale. Pete's Wicked Summer Ale was really popular. Then getting out to, to Oregon and Deschutes Brewing, which is a, still there, very famous brewery there, Black Butte Porter, and their Mirapon Pale Ale. So Pale Ale and Porter were like the two beers I was like, wow, here on one hand you've got nice malty flavors, but balanced and drinkable. Uh, and here you've got Pale Ale. Here's what hops are starting to taste like. So those two things kind of turned me on. Then eventually getting into Belgian beers and the bigger, stronger flavors. Uh, dabbled in sours a little bit, but really sours are not quite my thing in the sense that they don't have the sort of drinkability that I look for. Um, they're nice to sip on. Uh, and re then, you know, really IPAs and light lagers are really where my, my tastes go now. Uh, I do drink a little seasonally. So we're just coming out of the colder months, right? So I'm still, I'm still okay with maltier, fuller bodied, a little more robust beers. Uh, but, you know, put me, in a, put me in front of a bar and I'm probably looking for the Pilsner or the IPA. What would you like to see happen in the industry in the near future? What would you like to see more of or less of? Uh, from a flavor perspective, I'd like to see uh, drinkability and, and sort of a focus on quality and not just hammering people over the head with, um, with flavor. I think that takes some skill. And I'd like to see people appreciating subtlety. I, trust me, I don't mind getting hammered over the head with flavor either. From an industry perspective, I'd really like to see continued diversification. Um, that's the sort of continued striving towards better inclusivity in our, in our industry. Uh, for a long time, craft beer has been a white male dominated industry and still continues to be. It's a lot better than it used to be, uh, but there's a lot of work to do. And that's gonna take commitment from everyone to make it happen. Um, making things more inclusive from you know, 
obviously an advertising standpoint, but also making it more open to everybody that craft beer is for everybody. And I, and I you know, I've, I've been to a lot of seminars on this. I've seen some interesting talks about it. We've made some progress, but we're not anywhere near where we need to be. Uh, and included in that is, you know, sort of a, a reckoning of past bad actors, past bad things that happened. You know, um, I don't know how much you follow it, but there was a, a pretty big blow. Basically, the beer industry had our version of the Me Too movement this year uh, in, a, in a really alarming way. You know, as a, as a brewer and somebody who loves what we do and loves our industry, I always had kind of felt we were better than that. That, you know, of course, you have... 8,000 breweries, you have how many knows so many people, there's going to be some bad people in there, it's unavoidable. Uh, but I was like really heartbroken to read some of the some of the feedback and some of the stories and to see how many people had been, uh, you know, honestly, I had to stop reading them because I couldn't, I couldn't read them. You know, I read, I was reading posts um, for, you know, all of a sudden I've been reading for a half hour, 45 minutes. I wasn't anywhere near through all of them and I just couldn't, I couldn't read anymore. Um, that was really heartbreaking, um, but I'm glad that, that a light is being shined on this. I'm glad that it, that people are being called out for bad behavior. Uh, I want to let's get those people out of the industry. Let's educate everybody else about maybe, you know, the the small things they do that maybe are are positive or negative, right? That that maybe are or are not inclusive, and small ways we can change. And, I, and you know, that includes everybody, myself included. How are uh, some ways that you practice sustainability here at the? brewery yeah that's a good question uh sustainability you know breweries can be very energy intensive it can be very water intensive uh, i think that you to be a responsible member of society you have to be thinking about these things and thinking about how your industry affects things going forward it can be really hard for small breweries to do there are some great technologies out there for harnessing wastewater and recovering co2 and all that but the return on investment of those is very long even for a bigger brewery and they're just really out of reach financially for most small breweries so then you look at what are things we can do right how can we be more water focused simple things like making sure you don't have leaks you know not ignoring drips fixing things you know fixing valves things like that those things really do add up over time how can we reuse any waste products we have like spent grain you know, can we can we turn that back into a food source for animals? Can we turn that back into a food source for people? Can we do interesting culinary things with it? And, and throughout our time here, we've had different chefs that have been really into kind of trying to reuse some of our spent grain. Uh, luckily, here at school, we do have compost available to us. So if nothing else, our, our waste goes into compost. Uh, but, you know, we are always looking for ways we can be more sustainable. And then, you know, things that people don't really think about as being sustainable, but you know, if we think about plastic bottles and packaging, well, kegs are pretty sustainable, right? Glass growlers and, and pint glasses are pretty sustainable. Those are all reusable things that we're going to use, you know, ideally forever and ever as long as we don't drop them on the ground. Are there any specific uh, beer trends in the Hudson Valley that differ from the rest of the country? Uh, I would say our trends, you know, I wouldn't say so much it's a specific trend, but I would say what's making us unique. Uh, we do have a really, we have a really high quality breweries, breweries here in the Hudson Valley. We have a lot of them. I think we're, we're well over 70 breweries here in the Hudson Valley. Uh, I would say you're seeing a, a real focus on using local products and local agriculture, local grain, local hops, local fruits, things like that. That's something unique, right? You can't, there is some terroir to brewing ingredients. Nobody else can recreate that. So that is something we can do that's ours. As far as the, the beer styles and trends, I think you're seeing the same sort of thing you're seeing nationally. Um, certainly hazy IPAs are, began more on the East Coast and the Northeast but that's a national trend now. Fruited sour is a national trend. Um, big sweeter, like those bigger sweeter beers I was talking about before, kind of more of a national trend. So 
what will be the New York trend. That's what we're working on. And honestly, that's something we talk about as brewers quite a bit. How can we have something that New Yorkers are going to identify with? One of the challenges we have here in New York State, and people might not know this, is that New Yorkers don't drink that much New York beer. As a state, as a percentage of beer consumed, we are well below average. So New York State right now, New Yorkers drink about 6% of the beer sold in New York State is New York beer. Um, national average is around 10. Vermont is like 38. <laughs> this Oregon is like 60. So why don't New Yorkers identify and buy New York beer? And that's something we have to do. And maybe part of that is, do we have a style or, um, you know, a hit basically that is, hey, this is New York and we want you to drink New York. And that's what we're working on. And there's a lot of development on the agricultural side. Cornell is really supportive of that. So we just had the launch of Excelsior, which is a uh, New York specific barley barley malt we're working on some uh, new york hops hop roots do have some terroir so we can take things that maybe are not that interesting tasting in other parts of the world but grow them here in new york and all of a sudden you get really interesting aromas and flavors that's going to be a process it's going to take a couple years for that to come to fruition so have you ever failed like have you ever ruined a batch no never never (laughs) sure everybody messes things up from time to time i mean there are sometimes failures that are out of your control right um you know we are dependent on a boiler for, for brewing. We are dependent on a chilling system to keep the beer cold during fermentation. Chilling system breaks down, beer ferments hot, you get weird off flavors. Um, we, by off flavors, mean unintended flavors, sometimes which can be unpleasant. So like the same flavor that might be nice and gently fruity could also all of a sudden become very medicinal and plastic tasting, um, artificial tasting. So we've had batches that were dumped due to that. We had, uh, I've dumped batches when we first opened the brewery, right? Trying to dial in our equipment and get things to, to ferment the way we wanted. So that you kind of usually, when you open a new brewery, you purposely yeah, build of... into it. Yeah, we call it brew to the drain. You're going you're gonna to sacrifice some batches to figure things out. Um, from other than that, I would say to my career, I've, I've, I've made a couple miscues on flavor where I thought I had a really good idea that didn't work. Uh, I brewed a beer with lavender one time. This was a... Um, Two, this was my first uh, head brewing job. I think you mentioned lesson. this to me one time. And it was over, super overpowering. Yeah, lavender's really strong, as it turns out. Uh, so I didn't think a pound was a lot, but a pound's a lot. Uh, so it was supposed to be a beer that was um, kind of a gentle blend of different floral aromatics, sort of aromat, like a floral IPA. Uh, and I'd use some orange blossoms and rose hips. It was a lavender beer. Uh, it was really lavender beer. It smelled like, uh, you know, like the strong, really strong soap that grandma keeps in the powder room. Um, it was it was a little over the top. <laughs> well, that's uh, you know, like everybody fails, so it's very important for the people to hear that you know messing you know up what? is okay. Next time I made oh messing up is always okay. Uh, you prefer not to do it 220 gallons at a time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next time I made a lavender beer, I knew what to do better. And the next time we did it, we did a lavender beer here, at the CIA, uh, with uh, one of the chefs in Bocuse teamed up. We did a rhubarb and lavender beer, and uh, came out great. So we learned a lesson. Has uh, has your teaching background helped you become a better brewer? Do you think that it's, it's helped? Um, I think so. I think it's given me, you know, certainly I'm very open to knowledge. I've never been somebody who thought I knew it all or that I was the very best. Uh, I never have taken, I mean, I'm a brewer. I make beer for a living, you know, yeah. so I don't ever take it too seriously. <laughs> like some people do. That's also this, I think, part of personality, right? Um, yeah, I think so. I think being open to learning, continued learning is very important. Learning from your peers. And, and really that's, you know, that's how any good learning environment should be. It shouldn't just be me talking at somebody, right? It should be participatory. It should be involved, you know, it should involve everybody. It should be hands-on. It should be collaborative. Uh, and so that's sort of how I've always approached approach brewing. 
hands-on, collaborative, participatory. One of the great things about the beer industry is we're not, there's not a lot of secrets. No one's hiding a recipe from anybody else. If I go to somebody's brewery, even someone I don't know very well, and I say, hey, this beer's great, what's in it? They're going to tell me what's in it because there, there aren't, there's, it's not a lot of competition. It's a lot of cooperation. Do you have any like inspiration for coming up? Like, is there anything that inspires you to come up with a new recipe? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things. Um, usually, one of three or four things. So, one would be, you know, a, a classic beer style. One of you know some of the great beers of the world. So, for instance, our class project beer this semester. One of them is a, a Schwartz beer, a, a German black lager. So, let's go try examples of Schwartz beer on the market. Let's find ones we love. Let's look for what are some of the common ingredient or common flavor components and let's try and see if we can recreate that because we want to nail a specific classic style so that's one way to look at it another way might be to like show off a, a unique ingredient uh, we did a beer a couple years ago with um with one of the representatives of brooklyn uh using pawpaw fruit and he was really interested in using pawpaw so it was all right we, we found a source for pawpaw if you've never had pawpaw it's a very uh, it's a north it's a native north america it's a very short growing season so it's hard to get it's got a very sort of creamy texture, but it also has a sort of very generic fruity character that's sort of mild. Uh, sort of mango-ish, but it's not really as, as tropical as a mango. Maybe like mango, apple, pear sort of combo. Um, so let's build a flavor, let's build a backbone beer that's going to show off that ingredient. Or maybe we're getting local rye or local wheat grain. Let's build a beer that's going to show that off. And then the third is this, you know, sort of flavor inspiration. Tasting something and saying, this tastes really good. What else would taste really good with this flavor? Can we build that into beer? You know, can we take, um, you know, we're building a beer with, uh, with some sort of fruit to it. What would be good? Okay, hey, we're having this peach flavor. Maybe habanero is really good with this. Maybe some heat would be really good with this. Or maybe saltiness. And then trying to say, okay, let's, let's make flavor profiles and put them together. Uh, do you have any advice for someone who wants to brew professionally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, number one, homebrew. Just get started. Start making beer. Learn about learn as much as you can about the process. Um, no one's going to expect you to be an expert walking in the door, especially in an entry level job. But you know, begin to teach yourself. There's a lot of great resources out there. Then uh, next would be you know consider what part of the, the industry it is you're interested in. Is it that you love beer? Do you want to create flavors? Or do you just want to be attached to the beer industry? You know, maybe you find that your passion is not necessarily back of that, you know, production side. Maybe it's in sales and marketing. Maybe it's in, you know, teaching people about beer and, and being a beer expert and being someone who puts together beer lists. And um, or maybe it's event driven. Maybe you're great at putting on events and you want to share beer with the world. So find, you know, try and hone in on what you like. But if it is production side, is what you want. You want to be a brewer. So home brewing is a good start. Begin to make friends with the breweries in your area. You know, be polite, but be persistent. Let them know that you're looking for a job. Understand what the entry-level jobs are out there. Um, just like a lot of other industries, entry-level jobs don't pay very well, and they can be a lot of manual labor, but those jobs are there. And, and, and think about what's realistic. You know, I've met a lot of people throughout my career who had great paying jobs, who loved beer and loved brewing and wanted to be brewers. And the first thing I said was, you know, are you happy with your job? Yes, I am. Okay, well, maybe beer just becomes a hobby for you that you're passionate about. If you're willing to make the jump in there, you know, be prepared to work really hard. Um, it's, if you're starting your own business, starting a business is really hard. It's going to be a lot of sweat. 
and a lot of late hours and a lot of worry. Um, but it can happen. If, if as, like myself, you're someone who doesn't necessarily want to run a business but likes being a brewer and likes making beer, the very first thing you can do is, is try and get an entry-level job and get your foot in the door somewhere. Make sure you like it. Make sure you like being on your feet, that you like being in, in the industry. Breweries, uh, you know, we're very lucky here at the CIA to have this nice, shiny, beautiful facility that Brooklyn helped us it's really build. beautiful in here. It is. It's a lovely brewery. Uh, <laughs> with great air conditioning, which I absolutely love in the summertime. Uh, nobody has air conditioning in a brewery. So, um, you know, make sure you like being in a hot, wet, humid environment all the time. It's not for everybody. As a, as a head brewer and being on your own, have there been any times where you had a question you just can't figure out? What did you do in that instance? That's where the network of brewers comes in handy. Sure, there are absolutely, and there are dozens of people who know, you know, many dozens of people who know a lot more about things than I do. And the very first thing I start doing is whether it's researching an ingredient or trying to solve a problem is texting, calling friends. There are some great online resources, message boards that have been around for a long time that you can go back and search 20 years of discussions. There are organizations like the Brewers Association, the New York State Brewers Association, uh, the MBAA, the Master Brewers Association of America, some of which are great resources for technical information. A lot of it is just asking people smarter than yourselves to, uh, to solve problems. You know, I'll, I'll give you a great example. We have one of our temperature controls has been finicky and having a hard time controlling temperature in one of our tanks where we need to. One of our students this semester, his brother works in electronic controls. He called his brother and said, hey, we have this type of controller. Can you help us try and calibrate it? He's coming on Tuesday. We're going to try and calibrate this controller. So lots of times it's, it's not thinking you know all the answers and, not, and knowing that you don't have to solve every problem yourself, that there are resources and friends and people that can help you do it. And also knowing when to call a professional. I got a plumbing issue or an electrical <laughs> have, issue. Have you ever had to, you know, like think you can MacGyver something and then it just ends in a bad way? Um, more often than not, it involves uh, understanding which problems I can fix and which ones I can't. So say our, our, our cooling unit for the brewery goes down, the one that keeps the tanks cold. I know the things I can check on it and the things I can fix, and then I know who to call. When, when it becomes something truly technical, then you call the refrigeration expert because they understand. They have the equipment to do it and the knowledge to do it. So recently, one of the beers here that was brewed at the CIA uh, won a medal. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so that was at the most recent New York State Craft Beer Competition, which is kind of our statewide uh, beer competition. It's actually the largest state-run competition in the country. I think there were 1,250 beers entered this year. And our class project beer, which is the one the students in the art and science of brewing class get to help me create every semester, that was for the class that finished in December, was a Belgian triple called Father Murphy's Triple Apparition, named after Father Murphy, the, the, uh, the ghost of the school who lives up in Roth Hall, apparently. <laughs> CIA students will know. Yes. <laughs> I've been around uh, for long enough. The students get to name that beer, too. So it's you know, a name that means a lot to the CIA students and nothing to anybody else. Yeah, uh, yeah that beer won a silver medal um, in, our, in the Belgian ale category. We're really excited about that. And it's great to see a beer that the students helped me kind of create and contribute and write recipes for and had a lot of input into both the type of beer we were going to make and the actual recipe for it. Great to see that beer recognized and to see their, their, or, um, their efforts recognized. That's awesome. Was, was going for awards ever on your mind, like when you first you know, got into it? it was I mean, I guess when it first started, I didn't know that existed. Uh, I don't know anybody who doesn't like being given an award. Or, <laughs> and, and honestly, it's, it's as much about recognition from people who are experts and saying, this is great. You know, what you've done is great. And being judged against, you know, we've had... I've had beers go up against the very best in the world. So that's, that sort of recognition is great. The feedback is great. So when you do enter these competitions, you also get a lot of written feedback from the judges. And there's a lot of value in somebody else who knows what they're talking about, tasting your beer, and giving you valuable input. 
it's not always good input. Like that's, that's okay. It's, it's okay to get back feedback and say, you know, okay, is there a flaw? Is there a technical flaw? Or is it just a, could this flavor balance be better? Like I said before, I've never been someone who thinks that I do everything perfectly or that I'm, not, I'm the very best at everything. And I can, you know, I'd be happy to, to get very honest feedback on some of my beers. I, I know beers I have that I think are really tasty, but it doesn't mean they're perfect. So let's make them perfect, or at least make them as close to perfect as they're ever going to get. And that judging feedback can really help do that. Awesome. Are there any resources or books that you recommend for anybody that is a home brewer or even a professional? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a ton. Um, for professional brewers, um, the publications from the BA and from the MBAA are great resources. Uh, the live podcast, MBA podcast, is a great technical podcast. Sometimes a little over my head scientifically, but that's why I listen because it's I need to to get better at some things. Uh, for people who want to learn more about beer, craftbeer.com is a great resource. Most of it's free. There's a lot of educational information there about beer styles, beer flavors, beer and food pairing. There are some classes you can take on there that are pretty low cost. Uh, the Cicerone program, same thing. It's a you know sort of beer style education. Um, and then, I mean, everything's at our fingertips, right? Everything's in your hand yeah. when, you, when you look at your phone. So Google is a great resource. <laughs> it's overwhelming sometimes to try and sift through information, but there's a lot of great stuff out there. Is there any, uh, anything else you would like to tell the audience? Uh, no, just get out there, support your local brewery. Uh, keep in mind that most breweries are very small and are run by local people who are hiring local, who are putting their money back into this community, who are not making a ton of money. Nobody's getting rich in the brewing industry. We're all doing something that we're passionate about. When you have that choice where to spend your dollar, spend it on something from your state. Spend it on something that's local from your community. Uh, you're more often than not going to develop a connection to that and you're going to find a great product. And don't be afraid to try new things. You know, going to beer stores can be really overwhelming sometimes because there's so much choice now and there can be a lot of similarity. It can, it can overwhelm your senses. But those places are great because you can buy one beer. So if you're not worried about, you know, if you don't want to take a $20 risk on something, take the $5 risk on something. Buy five or six different things and, and see if you, can, uh, if you can find a flavor profile that you like. Thank you, Hutch, for sitting down and chatting with me for a little bit. I really appreciate your time, and uh, everything you're doing here is uh, awesome. Hey, thank really you so much. Thanks for coming in, and, uh, and thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. I would like to give a special thanks to Hutch at the brewery at CIA. Be sure to check out the beer Hutch and his students brew down at the Egg. Hutch is a great brewer and teacher. If you are interested in brewing or have any beer-related questions at all, Hutch will always be happy to share his knowledge. This wraps up episode two of Hop to the Mic podcast. My name is Tyler Crute. Be sure to tell somebody that you love them. And as always, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.